What what's a good analog for a third round pick? You y'all aren't helping me here. Bad trades. Okay. <laughs> lighting lighting money on fire. Lighting money on fire. Or payday loans. Yeah. That That's was the good. One. This week's episode is brought to you by Payday Loans. Boom. Book it. Intro. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway. McKinnon. Pure guts. <laughs> they got nothing but guts. Every guy with three big old cow hearts. Two pancreases. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass. And look at the patient. My goodness. Guts all over the place. I can't believe it. And after 22 years. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Good afternoon if you're joining us live in the voice chat. If you are listening to us, you hang out in the GDT text channel with any questions you might have. Um, coming up on the show, the Avalanche make a trade for Derek Broussard. And we're going to talk about that as well as all the other action across the Central Division. And at the same time, there's still some, you know, actual hockey news going on. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, before we play the whoosh, we do need to introduce who the disembodied voices this week are. Say hello, as always, to Earl Osik. What's up, Earl? Hello, friends. And bright and happy with us today is Tiger Vixen. How are you? Hello. And also, as usual, is Rudo. Let's get it on. So let's just get right to it. The Colorado Avalanche made one deal today that we know of. There's still some chatter. They may have a minor league deal stuck in the draft queue, or in the draft, in the trade queue. But at this point, I, that seems unlikely. Um, but anyway, um, it's Derek Broussard from Florida, who the Avs play tonight. So we'll see Derek Broussard on the ice tonight in exchange for a 2023rd. And if they resign Derek Broussard, they also get a condition. They get, okay, that is the condition. They also get a twenty twenty sixth. If no, they if do they not sign him, if they don't, no. If they sign him, they get the sixth. No. No. As if they don't. What? Yeah. If he's resigned, they do not get the sixth. I have that backward. Okay. What did I? Yeah. I okay. I meant to like. What did I say? Point and. Uh... <laughs> so. I think that the general feeling across the room is a lot more negative than the general feeling across Avs fandom. So if you're coming at the show today like, hell yeah, we picked up this Derek Broussard trade, um, you're not going to like us. Very true. It should be pretty obvious if you listen to us because we've basically pounded the table in the weeks leading up to this. And basically it's our consistent message across much anything we do so yeah if you're expecting us to like this trade then then i don't know what you've been listening to <laughs> maybe this is your first episode to listen to in which case yeah. i'm sorry i'm this sorry an odd yeah. one. it's a very off the cuff yeah. bizarre episode it always is um so before we get into brassard or a third specifically um let's talk a little bit about you know, just the idea of the trade. So what the Avs did here was they traded a 2023rd, and it's in 2020 because, like, every pick this year is in 2020 for some reason. It's really weird. Um, and they, they do this for a guy that they're planning to slot in, it looks like, in their middle sixth. So he's an impending UFA. You're look, you're, you've dealt a 2023rd for six weeks, maybe seven, maybe of a middle six forward and you're you know on the playoff bubble so 
This is like a rental ticket into the playoffs. Gee, have the Avalanche ever done a thing like that before? Right. That's that's the exact problem. If you look at the trade conceptually in a vacuum, it's not that bad. It's not good, but it's not that bad. But if you look at the past decade of the Avs repeatedly doing this, burning assets, missing the playoffs, and going nowhere, this falls right in line. This is why I introduced the idea of the Calvert line. So that you couldn't go back and try to justify that this is going to make a difference. If you're trading for a guy that has less production than Calvert, who, to be fair, has been playing well and producing lately, but still, he is not what one would call an impact forward. If you're making a trade for basically the same tier of player as Nieto, Colin Wilson, and Calvert, you are not moving the needle, period. Yeah, it would take a lot more than Derek Broussard to noticeably improve this team. So this is sort of a, a nibbling around the edges trade that, you know, it, it will probably end up hurting the Avs. Probably not that much, but it, it'll hurt some. And in the grand scheme of things, it, it, it if they make the playoffs, it definitely won't be because of him. I mean, right. They were and getting points from AHL call-ups. Even... Like, let's even say he has a significant impact. What's the best case scenario? A first round exit? I mean, that I don't really care about because, I mean, with them outside the playoffs, this is obviously to get them in the playoffs. Whether we think that's smart or not, but, you know, that's why they did it. it. It's like playing him versus playing, let's say, Greer, who's not on the team anymore. So how many more points and how much more impact is he going to have over, say, Greer or, say, anyone else that you can call up from the AHL that has actually produced some points and been a factor in wins lately? So it's not like Broussard versus a pick that everyone thinks is going to be completely meaningless. It's also the opportunity cost of him playing over who you were playing to begin with. Right. And... You know, it, that's that's the right way to look at it. Like, you know, saying that, well, third rounder, you know, probably won't even play in the NHL, yada, yada, yada. Um, that, that's not what you're really looking at. You're looking at Broussard versus, you know, basically in this case, it's going to end up being A.J. Greer because I think that, that Agazino was just you know, kind of up for the short haul. Yeah. Um, so the difference between Derek Broussard and A.J. Greer is X, and that X is very small. I think. Or even um, Dominic Coronado at that point. Yeah. I mean, right. I agree. I mean, you could substitute someone else for Greer, but it's, you know, you're, you're, you know, that's the difference you're trying to make with this trade. I, I agree there. I don't want to totally write off the fact that they gave up a pick here either. Because well, as I it said, get to that. one, and, right. Like it's, it's the concept of one of these isn't that bad. But it's the starting point of, oh, we'll just give away this pick and that pick and this pick. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it, it's you know, yeah, they, they do have, <clears throat> you know, some history of actually accumulating some picks through some bigger trades lately. But um, they, you know, this is the kind of trade that they don't seem to recoup a pick from down the road somehow. Um, and and. You know that that's sort of disturbing, in that they'll have a short draft next year unless they do something. You know, we, I mean, we could see a Barry trade where that 
you know, ends up not mattering, but, um, but then you know, when it, you're co constantly needing to trade a core player, it's not like you're getting these picks as like freebies. It's part of the value of that big player that you're trading away. So having these quote unquote extra picks of this draft is not because, Oh, generosity. It's because that's the value of Matt Duchesne. So if you're constantly banking on having to trade a core player just to fill in the hole in the bucket that you're creating with these trades that aren't even going to move the needle, then you're never going to move your organization forward in, in getting asset value and hopefully building something for the future. Like it's, wow. it's not about just having draft picks to have them just so you can have a bunch of 18 year olds. Like at some point we hear the argument that this team is supposed to be entering a window at some point. A lot of people hope it's next year. When you're in the window and you want to get an impact player, a third round pick would go a long way towards getting an actual impact player. If you can envision next year the Avs are looking like a legitimate playoff team that could make noise, you want to use maybe that second and third and get a real player. But now you can't because you wasted this third round pick to do nothing in a year where you're not going to win the cup. You're not going to get this player that's going to make a difference. So you're going to have to keep borrowing into the future to use picks for now. That's why it's called a payday loan. I love. I mean, I, I agree with that. Too. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I, I you know, I, I don't believe in having super stocked drafts. Um, you know, I, like I don't Ottawa? think that the we 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 could have one to start. We could have. We I, could have again. I just I don't think the abs are set up to take advantage of that, and I don't think that their scouting is good enough that that picks much past you know that the maybe the twentieth pick. Um, are really any different than each other. So <clears throat> the value to the organization, it, you know, it, it is what it is. I'd rather have a full draft, but, you know, having a nine pick draft really doesn't excite me that much. And if they end up with a full draft next year, that's not a big deal. Um, my problem is just using any asset and, you know, maybe it, it doesn't even have to be a third today. It could have been a position player or something else, but you know, you're buying this guy who's probably not an impact player just so you could offs and just that's the faulty thinking in my mind. If you're certainly. swapping, say, Nemeth for Broussard, okay, at least maybe you feel like you're addressing a need in a, in a different area. That's using your assets. The other problem is, again, they did not sell anything to get an extra pick. So if you, if you feel like you're always using top 100 picks to go out and get something, you need to do something to get them in return. And well, again, they do. I mean, they, they do fail. get them in their yeah. big trade. Yeah, from, from trading Barry. So basically, just to fill the hole in the bucket, they're going to have to trade Barry now, rather than just add, doing some actual GMing and moving Nemeth. I just, unfortunately... The second that they ended up buying on Broussard, it becomes impossible for them to justify themselves selling, right? They're saying, we cannot sell because we have just done everything in our power to make sure we make the playoffs. Which, that's a huge problem. I agree. A lot it's of terrible. other teams manage to be able to do both. 
And it's it's like the Avs have this mentality that they just cannot part with anybody, regardless of the fact that they're on an expiring contract, and they've probably already internally decided to move on from that player. But yet, the, that certain player is integral to their what's going to be like an 85-point season. Like, you could understand it, 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 if everything was so wonderful and they were on such a run... This is a team that just was the worst team in the league for two and a half months. Maybe actually moving a guy out might not be a bad thing. Like, hey, they didn't have Ian Cole for a while and they started winning. Not saying that he was why they were losing, but they needed a shakeup. And so for them to refuse to sell anyone is just not even understanding the dynamics of how this works. It's like, it's like, are they even in the NHL? Do they even understand that this is a salary cap era and you have to do certain things? I think if there was a top 100 pick to be had for Nemeth, they would have done that. I, I, I don't think it's a lot less. It's just not, it's just not let's, there. Let's look at the trade that Calgary made, who was rumored, Calgary was rumored to be looking for, I, I think it was. there was even a rumor out there that attached Calgary to Nemeth. So Calgary traded for a depth defenseman for a conditional fourth-round pick, and if they won one round, would be a third-round pick. They got a defenseman from L.A. that has one point in 35 games. So you cannot tell me that Nemeth was not on the table for that type of trade. It, he may not have been. I don't know what's on the table. But it, it, it's if they win a round, the pick is going to be, like, 85-ish, like... You're not talking okay, about well, that would help replace pick. the 65-ish pick that they just spent. When next yeah, year I mean, comes around, they're not they're not even going to have the player anymore, and they're going to have to give up the pick. Just like when this summer rolls around, they're not even going to have Wilson anymore, but they're going to have to give up that pick. It would help. I'm just I mean, saying that in the past, basically every time that we've yelled and screamed about why didn't they trade away this player, they were yeah, out that's of the NHL within a season. No, nobody, nobody wanted our crap. It's always an excuse because you don't know. You're not there. You didn't hear what the offer was. But after year after year after year after year of they couldn't just sell anybody. They didn't get a good enough offer. They weren't going to move him just for nothing. It, it becomes to be complete bullshit. I mean, I look at, all right, you take Andrew Ghetto, who we know they probably wanted to sell. I mean, the, the I mean, rumor okay, was that, that Joe that emailed everybody. Wanted yeah. Andrew Ghetto. I'm not mad that they didn't move Andrew Ghetto. Right. But the and fact that to to believe that they got nothing, no offer for Nemeth is I cannot believe that whatsoever. I mean, they might, they might not have. I I tend to think that if they could have gotten something in the top three rounds, they probably would have taken it. But. I mean, you can make a great case if you get rid of Nemeth, then who's who's filling that hole, and then. You, you sort of look the, at all that, their other like, defensemen they have. Like Mark Barbera. Right. <laughs> Mark I mean, they Holt, signed David the guy to a It's like a, there's deal. a pretty good case for keeping Namath there. They they signed Barbera to a two-year deal, so we're not I mean, talking about Magic. He could be signed here. for five years. It doesn't make him better than he's Nemeth. still. <laughs> well, Cole was on the ice today. He might not play this week, but he's not out for the year. Yeah. We kind of thought he was. That's an interesting surprise. Yeah. I can't believe... I mean, you know, and, and we've seen with the Eagles that a, a person with a broken orbital bone was back in the lineup and fighting people soon after, so... 
you know, it, it, it it's not as dire as it sounds or, or, or it doesn't have to be. Um, but yeah, I mean that, you know, that's something we're going to have to see how quickly Cole comes back. Cause if it's something like he's back by the end of this week and, you know, they were offered something that could be a, a good chance of being a third, then, you know, that that's, that's probably not a great move on their part. The one thing about the offers, even if we're not there, you're looking at the comparables, and if you tried hard enough to sell him, I'm pretty confident you should have been able to get at least a fifth, and more realistically, a fourth or better. And that's, I think, a place where we all pretty much agree at this point that Joe is not good at selling things. No. No, he's not. Not at all. So... So maybe the offers weren't there, but maybe it's because Sekic didn't go out and find the offers. I think that's I mean, definitely the, the, a strong theory at this point. I mean, the thing is, like, you know, we don't know what he does, so it's hard to say, like, you know, how can he get better or, you know, is well, this something Freeman like where he just said, doesn't care or it's something he's not good at? You know, that's 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 kind of what we're weighing here, and I I, I don't know how you can make that judgment. I mean, not not the Freeman even good, said but, he doesn't yeah. make calls; he waits for them. We've long <laughs> suspected that, but Friedman just confirmed that. Well, I mean, I, I I don't know how much calling people matters. It's like you know, you can only call once or twice on a guy and say, "Hey, you want Patrick Nemeth? Come on, we got a good deal going on this guy." I mean, you know, it's like most. Well, people are it's like, yeah, it's okay, a big I'll... big point to the passive nature. I mean, if, if someone called Joe twice about someone like Patrick Nemeth, wouldn't you want him to tell him to just, like, screw off? I mean... Hey, if they just know? can't do it, that's fine. But you then can't make people want something you don't want. <laughs> is you don't get to go buy. If for whatever reason, you either your players are too terrible, or you can't, you just can't even function as a seller, or your organizational philosophy is to never break the team up, if they have even a 1% chance of making the playoffs. Okay. Then the flip side of that is you don't get to buy. Right. And the problem there is, you know, what is the thinking that they're going through? Like, aha, I've got it. If we trade a third for Derek Broussard, this is really the, you know, the final piece of the puzzle. I truly think it's validation. It's being known as a buyer it's being in the hunt. It's being in the. I seriously do. I think it has nothing to do with they actually think that this guy is going to raise their win probability or their goals oh, I don't per know. hour, I, or whatever. I, I think mean, you look at the kind of people they love in this organization, and like Derek Broussard is exactly what you're thinking of. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about this specifically, Earl. Um, as we kind of move on to Derek Broussard, the player, um, you have been calling the Abs picking up Derek Broussard ever since December. Why? Um, it just seems like the type of player that he is. And th- this, this goes back further because I, I have a feeling they might've been interested in him in various times over the past few years. Um, since he's, he's kind of been moving around the league a little bit. Um, but he's sort of, you know, he's one of those veterany type guys. Um, you know, a, a character good in the room, gulu guy, you know, all those things that, you know, we, we, we deem intangibles and unmeasurables that, that go into, you know, what a guy like that brings. And it, you know, it's tough for someone if they want to be very objective and only look at statistics to put much value in what he brings. So I, I just, I kind of wonder, you know, why is a guy like Derek Broussard the catnip that he is for, 
you know, this organization. It, it was obvious. I mean, we see, saw this coming. I even said they would use a 2023rd to get him. Like, it's ridiculous how obvious this move was. He's old. He's French. He Like, when Florida acquired him and they said he shouldn't get too comfortable there, it was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> they probably had this in mind back then. And... You know, when they were terrible, did they maybe decide not to do it? And then last week, when they won two games in a row, it was like, we're back on, maybe. But it was like, this isn't something they just came to today. This was something that's, you could see that was in the works. You could see that they hadn't touched their draft class from next year. They've they've used a mid-round pick every single year since Zach has been GM since 2014. So they had an untouched draft class. They were going to go to town. This was the perfect guy that they were going to get. It's just funny that they said no rentals, but they did say they were looking for an extra forward, and they said that several weeks ago. Yeah, yeah I mean, he said no rentals, hockey trade, and all that, and it, it just did. It, you know, it, 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 <laughs> it all the, went out the window. Like, right. The problem here is that it, it was incredibly predictable by the Avs to do this again, and at that point. It's it's not even about Broussard at that point. It's they did it again. They they did the same thing where they front face and say, okay, we're going younger, faster, and we did it, and it works. And now we have to continue getting better. And the way they get better is give up assets to get older, slower. And yeah. we we just went through this three years ago. We were going through this exact same thing, and it blew up in our face. Yeah. And you can see it's like that, you know, they love these cornerstone guys that aren't really, you know, impact players like, you know, McKinnon or, or Miko or, or Gabe or anything like that. <clears throat> but, you know, you, you could see that they, they really want more of guys in the style of, of Cole and Calvert. And they feel that, that having a bunch of guys like that is an important part of building the roster. And, you know, it's just, it's just really hard to justify a slew of those moves because you can take Calvert, you know, just by himself in a vacuum and say like, you know what? He really is having a decent season. Same with Cole until he got overplayed um, and, and probably a little burnt out. Um, but it's just, you know, it's like you, you start accumulating sort of more of that than the younger, right. faster and batch. It and it's, it's, it has a terrible have, effect. To having no plan beyond just, the current no plan beyond just this year it's I, I think they definitely plan to have more of those guys i mean i think that's what they hated about last year's team i think they saw last year's team and said damn if we had more you know experienced <clears throat> glue guy good in the room types that you know we we might have made it through the first round you mean the like problem Brad stewart <laughs> like Brad Stewart. it's like... the it, it's the intoxication the part about being in the chase and this year, it's even more meaningless being in the chase. Just about every single team in the Western Conference is in the chase. Even Edmonton can say, it's, we're just right there. And, it, it, and they feed into it. And, and for fans, they just want to say, hey, we did something that's going to help us get there. Everyone should be excited. Who cares? You know, picks or picks, whatever. And it's just, it's maddening that there's no vision for the future. Like you said, the younger, faster was great for one year. Now we're back in the same cycle, doing the same things, right. trying but, to chase a marginal 
playoff spot, even if they make it. The problem isn't that those guys exist; those type of guys exist on the team. The problem is they can't get their young guys to turn into those guys. They have to go outside the org to find them, and it blocks the younger guys. JT Comfer has just as many points as Matt Calvert this season. Arguably should have been in Matt Calvert's role for the entire season, and the Avs are only just figuring that out in the past six games. So you've basically just wasted half a year of Confer becoming that guy to play Matt Calvert there. And no disrespect to Matt Calvert. He's been fairly strong for this team since the turn of the new year, but he's still just in the way. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the fact that they aren't turning JT Confer into Matt Calvert, you know, that that's a definite problem. Um, and, you know, I mean, the only way you do turn JT Confer into Matt Calvert is is for JT Confer to become 28 years old, and it's like he will, but not anytime soon, <laughs> and probably not on this team. Yeah, so, you, so the result of your moves is you you sent down your ELC forward prospect who allegedly has a future, who probably was only up just for showcase anyway. Because certainly didn't have plans to keep him past the deadline now, did they? Since we keep referring to the paper deals, let's go ahead and, and lay those out. The Avalanche sent um, Sheldon Dries, A.J. Greer, and Andrew Agazino to the Colorado Eagles today. And the reason they did that was so they could be on the AHL roster in time to play in the AHL playoffs should the Eagles get there. I, well, eh. they and, have uh, to be there so they can play for the rest of the regular season, too. That, yeah, that too. And then they re they uh, brought Sheldon Dries back to the NHL only. And and we're going to get to that thinking a little bit later, but just so you know what the hell we're talking about, that's what the hell we're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, Greer was the second youngest forward on the team. Um, so it's, you know, it's not a surprise that, that he was one of the ones sent back. Um, we we kind of know Andrew Agazino's role. I think that, it was. Everyone know. thought Greer was going to stay. Everyone thought I, mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes however... back at some point. So it's right, but, but a lot I, I of think the thinking was that is that there to stay. That Trice played... is older, so he stays. Well, Bedner likes Trice, so he's older. wasn't. <laughs> I mean, we'll when he was that. sent down a week ago. Yeah, I mean, they, that does have effects from the Broussard trade, but sticking with the idea of Broussard coming onto this team, what? does he do that players on this team don't already? I mean, realistically, if you want to go look into his stats, you're getting him for 20 games, and if you get 10 points out of him in those 20 games... Yeah, that's, that's a lot. That, like, that's good, yeah. So I'm thinking, like, 5 to 8 is probably where we're looking. Um, and again, that's, you know, that's fine. I, I, I don't think we should expect more than that. I... You know, I don't know if the Avs do. I, I think they tend to overinflate their value of, of guys like that. Um, and I just want to say, I you know, I think it's a great thing that they want to go for it and get into the playoffs. Um, you know, to actively do what they can to help uh, the team as constructed get into the playoffs. But you know, looking at, at what you have left as far as twenty games. And in making a move like this, you know, thinking that's a big thing, thinking this is something that we really need to do so that we make the playoffs, that's where the flaw is. 
what we're not going right. to do is sit here and speculate where does Derek Broussard fit into the roster because the Avalanche play tonight, and I'll be in the process of editing and uploading this show while that happens. So it's pretty pointless. You'll you'll see where he slots into the roster. Um, I yeah. Would, but I wouldn't expect to see him on the fourth line, and you know he's not going to make an impact on the first line, not anymore. He's not a 60-point player anymore, though he's, he did have 69 like five years ago, which is a pretty nice total. Um, the, the That's point, like yesterday, though. <laughs> the, the, the point is not that he's, you know, this god-awful dog-shit player. That's a hyperbolic take that I have no time for. The, the point is that he's not anymore a good enough player to get the team, you know, over the hump and definitely into, you know, contention to win a round or two. Right. If you happen to have this guy on the roster and, and just in a vacuum, you know, not thinking about you already have Calvert and, and some other guys, you know, it's like Derek Broussard is a guy that, that probably is going to help in the room and stuff like that. Um, he's probably going to help the younger players be better pros. And, you know, there is value in that. But, you know, again, acquiring that for 20 games, it, it's just, you know, it, it, giving up a third round pick for just that little of leadership it's it, it seems silly and it's not going to help right. well, what kind of leadership are you getting from someone that just comes in and just shows right. up but i mean that's like a throwdown the whole leadership like i get you need some but they also made a big deal about turning over the leadership to guys like ej and and landy and mckinnon and you don't need a ginla type leadership and then they go out and they go get old leadership and I don't see how a guy coming into a room for thirty or for twenty games is all of a sudden he's going to put his leadership pants on and everyone's well, going mean, to listen to him. He can go out on the ice and be professional and and you know and do things that aren't just rah rah stuff. I mean, there's way to there's ways to be leadery that aren't. But you know, they have plenty. They have plenty of that if, if they want to look at guys. I'm who sure they play do. the I mean, right that's... way. That's why you have Calvert. Right. It's. It's just the disconnect that the way you get into the playoffs is the core of your team. Right. Right. And there's no way you can say that Broussard is coming in to be part of the core of this team. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like the the, the best case is he kind of stays out of the way and lets them do their jobs. And, you know, hopefully that's what happens. So, you know, in that way, he could help them get in the playoffs by staying out of the way. Um but again, you know, it's just the the thought process that they went through, saying, "Aha, we need this guy to get the playoff, get into the playoffs this year." It's, you know, it's fuzzy deeply logic. flawed. Yeah. So it's about validation. Much, we we know how much Bednar likes having his players have a practice before they get into a game. I really wonder, um, and we've talked about this during the day. I I really wonder how much the Matt Nieto injury affects the deal actually being you know having, having the trigger pulled on the deal finally happening what a sentence that was um because we kind of found out this morning that matt nieto's out week to week with an injury and then it wasn't you know a couple of hours after that that the brassard deal actually happens like we know the teams have been talking about it longer than just today but yeah I, I mean i i think the roots of this have gone back several months yeah but i don't i don't know if they actually definitely do anything yeah if nieto is yeah. injured I, I agree 100% there. Uh, I, think I think it's more about getting out of the being the worst team in the league hole. It uh, has more to do. That too. That, it, has, I, that has it, it does. But I think the Avs considered Broussard a, not a large piece, but like a solidly sized piece for themselves. 
And before the loss of Nieto, they were looking at something a bit smaller. And this is speculation, to be clear. I don't actually know. But I think that the Nieto deal, especially because Nieto had been playing quite well lately, they felt like they really needed to do something to replace him that mattered. And the Avs think that Broussard matters. Even then, we don't know how long Nieto's going to be out. Like, we thought Cole was done for the year, and he might play in a week. Uh, I mean, week to week sounds like he's not going to play this week at least. (laughs) <laughs> David pretty much led him into that, too. Like, it's not like the team announced he was going to be out for a long time. Right. Week to week to them could mean two weeks. So. We've also had players day to day for three months before, so. That is correct. So, who knows? Um, he may play again this season. He may play again this week. We really don't know which is the actual time frame. Yeah. I mean, it's a, this is something and they're that getting Wilson we can back. only I mean, look at it with hindsight. If you're, it also looks like they're going to get Wilson back soon, it who allegedly maybe. helps this team. So, he you know, if, 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 you, does. if you need to go out and get somebody to add to your roster because you can't possibly make the playoffs without it with one injury. I mean, if you, I mean, yeah, Nieto is a, a player that helps this team, but this team has not had a McKinnon injury, a Landeskog injury, a Rantanen injury. Barry was out for, what, four games? EJ was out for a couple weeks. Soderbergh hasn't missed a game. Gerard hasn't missed a game. I mean, they have been damn lucky with injuries. So to pull the injury card because of Nieto, considering some of the injuries that other teams out there have had, is kind of weak. I mean, the only justification I can see, because it was Matt Nieto, who is pretty much their best penalty killer, is to say, you know... We need someone that's experienced at the penalty kill. Um, and I sort of agree with that because that's not a situation that I believe you can just stick, you know, an AHL guy in there well, and they'll they be did. fine. They put Drys there. They put Agazino there. It's worked right. for a, I just a week don't, with, at least. With no, basically no practice, no nothing. I just, I don't, I you know, I, I think the penalty kill after being so bad for so long that and that's then it got not better something with that I would count on as on a it. coach or an organization. And they played better, and it got better with the AHL players on I it. I mean, I don't think they it had, had anything to do with the AHL players. It was an entire... Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> so. They're absolutely... It, it affects them. They aren't of, part of the thinking. It's all right. part of playing better. Like, no, it's not. You're the worst team in the league. You play Agazino, you're finally a playoff team. It it all snowballs together, just like it all snowballed apart, but it's still part of it. Like they had Graves, Dries, and Agazino out on the same penalty kill while it was still critical situation against that in that Nashville game. Not garbage time. When it actually met when a PK actually still mattered, they had those three out together. Yeah. And it worked. I just, I, I can see the logic in, <laughs> in thinking that's not going to work long term. Um, that's, that's just what... because you don't know it does. It, it could. I'm not saying it can't, but it just, you Like know. you set up your organization and you're constantly in this emergency because nobody's good enough. Nobody's good <laughs> enough that you can ever call up. Nobody's good enough that you already signed. Like, when are you ever going to be good enough with what you can have internally? I mean, they can always put Gabe on the penalty kill. I know they don't like to, but that, that was also part of why there was a little bit of improvement lately. Um, 
you know, th th there's plenty of reason I can see why them saying that that having an experienced penalty killer is is part of why they did this, and, and that that is one part that if he turns out to be a decent penalty killer, I can agree with. But I mean, there's um, always going to be an that's experience. fairly specialized for someone you go out and you know spend a third round pick on. So um, we we've been at this for close to a half hour now. Let's go ahead and and put the Broussard deal to bed. Um, we all are on this show in, in agreement that it's not good. So briefly, please, exactly how bad is it? Same I think shit, it's different only bad. day. I, I think it's only bad if they re-sign him. Um, because that, A, throws away what, you know, a lot of people think is worthless, a six-round pick. Um, but B, it just, you know, it, it just plugs up the lineup worse. Um you know, the, the damage that he can do from now to the end of the season is fairly limited. Yeah, the Broussard is whatever. The same organizational thinking is putting us on a track to repeating history in blowing up a team. And it's not there yet, but it's bad. And I think it's a pretty clear indicator that a lot of the things that Avs fans have talked themselves into the Avs learning from and moving on from, they actually have not. They have it's, not. Uh, Correct. It, 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 does, it doesn't destroy your franchise. It doesn't destroy the next year's draft. It doesn't right. blow up everything you've done. It doesn't cripple development forever. It's it just, just doing this 15 times does any that. Any progress that it you've allegedly made. It's just, you've. It, it's a rental and you aren't even sure if you're making it into the playoffs. And, yeah. And, it's just, that's just that's all there is to it. So that was a lot of words about one trade and the Central Division. Pretty much everybody did something. Even Chicago activated uh, Corey Croft from IR, even though they didn't actually make any other deals. So yeah, we could go full on talk radio. Yeah, who would you say won the trade deadline in the Central Division? That's a Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was I'd... Minnesota was my big surprise because you know obviously with a new GM coming in you're expecting some turnover, um, but they're you know they're close enough to the playoffs where like you wouldn't buy obviously unless you're the Avs. Um, well, but selling off the way they did was fairly surprising for me. I, I will say that I think selling was the right move for them. I think it was an organization that's been in what we call the Calgary zone, the mediocrity zone for a long time that has a roster of a bunch of decent players, but no real game changers, a lot of meh that they've decided to make a decision and actively change their organization. Now I, the caveat to that is it didn't look like they got great returns right. from their pieces. So I will, that and they say so, younger terrible. players instead of the older ones yeah. that really make them bad. The theory was correct. The execution <laughs> right. was just yeah. unbelievably yeah, bad. Let's, let's yeah. get one more interrupt in here just to go through the execution. They traded Matt Hendricks to Winnipeg for a seventh, which is just about. That's a great trade. Yeah. Like, if you got <laughs> Any, anything, anytime you Matt get Hendricks, rid of Matt Hendricks, you're good, you're doing all right. You're happy with that. But then they also dealt Charlie Coyle to Boston for Ryan Donato in a fifth. Um, that's bad. That's that's a that's an eye crosser, and another one happens in the division. Michael Granlin to Nashville for Kevin Fiala. That's bad. That's yep. we're not sure how bad that is yet because Granlin is five years older than Fiala, but by all accounts, it looks like Granlin is better than Fiala will ever be. 
And and I, I know it's a, it, it's been a while, but the Rask for um, uh, Niederreiter trade, obviously, <laughs> it's a big loss for them. That's a factor, too. Um, right. And so it's like you, you look at the body of trades that they've been making over the past couple of months, and, and you know, it's kind of a head-scratching thing. I mean, you know, if they're just opening up room to bring in, you know, different things this summer, then I guess it is what it is. But, you know, they definitely didn't get didn't get the value that they probably should have. And it's probably not like it's that... a sell-off. Granlin for Fiala and Rask for Nino, those are hockey deals. Right. It, it doesn't really solve the problem that they're anchored to Parise and Suter for eternity either, so... <laughs> and Koivu, yeah. I will say the team that probably got the best value in was Nashville. They always seem to manage to do that. I don't know. I mean, Winnipeg... It... Winnipeg seemed to get some decent assets for like seventh and sixth, and I know that's real nibbling, and those those guys probably won't turn out to be that great. But they didn't really give up much other than I don't know. They trade. gave up the most today, anyway. Yeah, They're Nashville the stuck to the up. script well too, right? Nashville knows Rene's done got a lot of years left, so they said, "Let's go." Yeah, they they brought in Michael no, I mean, Granlund, I, I, which is a a good boost for scoring for Nashville. They also picked up Wayne Simmons from Philadelphia for Ryan Hartman and a conditional 2024th because every pick is in 2020. Um, Simmons versus Hartman in the playoffs this year. That's an upgrade, um, but not a huge one. Yeah. I mean, anytime you can get rid of Ryan Hartman, you're probably doing a good deal. But I mean, Simmons, it's tough just because Philadelphia has been so, um, I wouldn't say bad, but just really inconsistent offensively for, you know, for more than this year. It goes back to last year as well. So it's like when you put Simmons on a team that sort of needs some offense, but, you know, it is kind of that grindy team. You know, is he is he going to flourish in there just in sort of a, you know, last good year of his career kind of thing? Just a real fun fact. To it's that's off topic, so I apologize, but it's news. Uh, Broussard is going to wear number eighteen. Yes! So take from that what you nice. want. Nice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That means Timmy won't have it either. <laughs> Where'd you find that? This year. I, I need Andy retweeted in... somebody. I'm not sure. I need you to put that in chat so that Randy can see it. He's been yelling at it. all day. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Why were we expecting eighteen? <laughs> it's LinkedIn chat. I thought someone suggested it. Someone that was in the chat actually suggested it, but so in case well, you're wondering how cursed eighteen is, <laughs> we'll find out. So is is he going to be like Zuccarello playing for the Stars and just get injured right away, or what? Dallas <laughs> picks up Matt Zuccarello from the New York Rangers in exchange for conditional nineteen second and a conditional twenty twenty third, and broke his arm immediately. Yeah. And that's just sort of the most Tough stars luck. thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> Dallas also traded a third and Connor Carrick to New Jersey for Ben Lovejoy. Uh, Could have been Nevis. Ben Lovejoy's been on the other side of more questionable trades than, like, anybody. Yeah. Um, he must and, be and good I, I realize, Maybe. you know, that... that the, the stars are in a situation where they've really, you know, they, they went into the season depending on defensemen that haven't been there because of injury, but, um, you know, that's not an upgrade, really. <laughs> the abs must be really unlucky that they never have anybody that's good in the room. <laughs> they keep, they, all these teams just keep adding Ben Lovejoy, and it's like, like is he funny? What is it? <laughs> Character. 
Maybe he's terrible at poker. <laughs> <laughs> Let's finish you off don't... Winnipeg, too. They added Nathan Beaulieu for a sixth from Buffalo. And uh, I think that finishes off the only thing I haven't mentioned for them. Unless I had... Yeah. I mentioned Kevin Hayes, right? Yeah. I, I, I think they overpaid there. I, I mean, I don't hate Winnipeg's strategy. They're saying, like, look... We're just going to get a million dudes, so if people get injured, <laughs> if, we have people to play. If you, if you look at what they spent for Hayes and what Stone got from Vegas, and we heard that that Winnipeg was really high on Stone, that sound, it's ridiculous that they got a first. And Lemieux, who, he does play in the NHL. Maybe he's not the prospect caliber that Brandstrom is. Yeah, but not I even mean, close. <laughs> Winnipeg has plenty of good of higher end prospects that you could have put together, and they ended up with Hayes, and Vegas ended up with Stone. Yeah, and Vegas I, I think they Mark overpaid Stone. there. Vegas picks up Mark Stone in exchange for Eric Brandstrom, Oscar Lindbergh, and the twenty twenty second, which belongs to the Dallas season. There actually was an update there. Um, there's also a different Lindbergh. Tobias Lindbergh is going to Vegas as well. So it's to Stone Lindbergh? and Lindbergh for Brandstrom, other Lindbergh, and Dallas's 2022nd. Correct. That's fun. Boy, that's not confusing. The NHL. Um, I, I think the thing with Winnipeg is is they probably couldn't sign Stone um, long term. Yeah. And sure, but they. That's just part of being Winnipeg. More. And if you're going for it, you'd rather have Stone than Hayes. Definitely. Yeah, but if you, I mean, if if you can't, and if, if you're you spending a first, extend him, then it's not worth the price you're going to have to give up. Okay, they're the ones that gave up the first <laughs> for Hayes. Right. I mean, they still overpaid for Hayes, but yeah, Stone didn't even get a first. Yeah, but Eric Brandstrom is yeah. worth yeah, more is, than a first. <laughs> exactly, I'd take Brandstrom over a first anytime. And then it's it's also worth remembering they got a a first and a conditional first for Matt Duchesne too. Um, the one deal we haven't mentioned belongs to St. Louis, Michael Del Zotto from Anaheim for a sixth. Which, uh, <laughs> Okay. The, that is a trade that happened. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, you know, it, it looks pretty much like St. Louis is very goaltending dependent. <clears throat> and even their offense anyone? has been... Just like the avalanche! <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I, it's an interesting move just for the fact that you're just kind of like, I don't know, do they really need this guy? Um, you know, could, I don't know, just, it, it, it doesn't seem like that's sort of a good fit, but, you know, maybe they've changed. Maybe they've changed? Well, yeah, they fired Mike Yo and they changed immediately. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think Bennington is going to cool off at some point. Yeah, like right before the playoffs. Right. But, and, <laughs> like, it's the same thing the same that way. Winnipeg's thinking there, right? We're sure we're going to lose a defenseman, so let's have a body that we like that we can actually put in the lineup. Yeah. So, how, exactly how much St. Louis has recovered, I can see a lot of that being dependent on goaltending, but there's no way it all is with the coaching changes in the, in the mix. Excuse me, as well. They're up to 72 points and comfortably third in the Central at this point. Yeah, I, I 
I forget what what I was watching, but someone remarked that um, when you come in as a new coach and install a brand new system, it's going to take about seven weeks for it to you know really start paying off. And I, I wish I could remember who it was because it's very prescient. Because just you know it was it was right before they started. You know, so seeing, it was Hitchcock you know, really in the inverse of that. In, no, it's <laughs> no, it's, it was. I mean, once they got Yo out and put in Baruby, then you know it's like he put in a new system, and they obviously you know continued to play poorly for a while. But it you know it took a while for it to take, and you know after six or seven weeks, like aha, the light bulb went on, and it really started working. Right. I mean, I mean the Edmonton, Edmonton was the opposite of that. They get Hitchcock and it works right away. Then after six or seven weeks, they they're back to terrible again. Yeah, I mean, wonder. it's like Sands yelled. You're looking at the Blues a while ago, and you're thinking, yeah, I mean, they're probably a wild card team, right? Depending on their goaltending. Yeah. Well, and I mean, they, it's like I I thought they weren't because of Jake Allen. Right, and then they get built, so they're a bubble team, and then you get Bennington coming in playing out of his mind and. They're third in the central, so yeah, they're third in the central. I mean, oh, well, part of the reason they're third in the central, of course, is that the bottom half of the central is garbage, <laughs> which which is okay because the bottom half which... of the Pacific is somehow worse. Includes yeah. the Avs, of course it does. It sure does. Colorado are at sixty-five points as we record this afternoon. It could be sixty-seven or sixty-six, depending on tonight. By the time you listen to this show. They sit one point out of the second play, second wild card spot, which is occupied by the stupid Minnesota Wild, who have sixty six. Dallas sits in the first spot at sixty seven. Yeah, I think I, I think the Avs, Minnesota, and Stars are sort of in a race. Um, who can not be worse? I mean, Minnesota dropped anchor today. I think, but. I, yeah, but it just, you know, sometimes you get a dead cat bounce or, you know, a, they were correctly Addition identifying the problem players and they play better. I don't know, you know. Yeah, I mean, anything can happen. Like, when you're in a situation like this, whichever team gets hot is the one that ends up making it, right? So, Right. And it's just, it, it seems like Dallas has been bad and inconsistent all year. Minnesota was, you know, they were hot for a long time. And they cooled off, and then just up until they won two in a row, or they might have won a third in a row. That's why they're past us. They they went like one and nine or something over a ten game stretch. So, and and that's that's when the anchor really got thrown out. So you wonder about them. But the Avs seem to be hot right now, and we'll we'll just sort of see what the the moves today have done. Did you mean to say the Avs seem to be hot right now? Yeah, well, they're on four purpose. and one. They yeah. sure have been. So this week the Avs went four and zero with a combined score of twenty to four. Yeah, that's hot. Pretty yeah. good. Let's let's drop it. If I don't, I may edit this whole little section out. Let's let's go ahead and drop it and listen to some of our live reaction to some of these deals today. Just a couple, and then we will come back and talk about real hockey. Unless anybody has any last thoughts on trade things themselves. trade for Hayes. Alright. One bullet dodged. I'm not feeling good till Broussard's gone. Oh, it, nope. There we go. That conditional fourth has now been changed to another 2022 pick. Are you kidding me? 
I am not. That condition, that fourth for winning the cup is a 2022. It sure is. (laughs) (laughs) So they had to have it be bullshit two ways. Come on. (laughs) For winning the cup and you you, get it for you. You have no idea what your team is going to look like in 2022. Like, it could be, you could, yeah. They'll still be buying the same bullshit in 2022. Yep. As many 14-year-olds have been traded as NHLers today. <laughs> this isn't soccer. Big teams sign guys at age, like, 12. I think you like, 9 even for their, like, foster teams or whatever. And then immediately soccer media is like, Oh, this kid, this kid. He's gonna be a legend. This is the kid. Can't even do math yet. My god, the absolute state of this deadline. Yeah, it's brutal. (laughs) But I'm gonna starve for this. So we've got the perfect picture of what's going on today coming at you from NHL and NBC Sports on Twitter. You are an elementary school lunchroom GM. You have a pizza lunchable that you're willing to trade. You're offered one pack of Gushers, one chocolate pudding cup, and future considerations. Do you accept the trade? Well, what were what am I getting back for this Lunchable, and what kind of Lunchable? It's a pizza Lunchable, and you're getting back a pack of Gushers, a chocolate pudding cup, and future considerations. What's a Gusher? You don't know what a Gusher is? What? No. How do you not know what a Gusher is? Okay, this finally proves Earl's age. So a gusher is like, it's like, um, it's like a, a fat, squishy gummy, except it's not a solid gummy. On the inside, there's some bizarre liquid-ish. Tempting. It's like the worst textured candy in the world. I don't know. You're pretty close there. I think I might need a, a conditional like cracker or something to add. I don't think that's close at all, because you're, you're trading, like, food for dessert. Yeah, but the pizza Lunchable is objectively the worst Lunchable, so... But you can... St- that still fills you up a lot more than a pack of Gushers. Is there such thing as a good Lunchable? Touché. I've never had a Lunchable. They should make at least you know what they are. I've seen them in the store. <laughs> if you've ever had a meat and cheese tray, you've had a Lunchable. <laughs> this is the most predictable thing Here that could have go, possibly boys. happened. We're starting to see it. For a third. For each <laughs> tweeting it. You can just go fuck them. I knew it would be a third. <laughs> That's the most predictable outcome possible. <laughs> oh, God. What a bunch of fucking idiots. And they couldn't. What third though? Yeah. Who they cares? Extra third this year. You can't go into a draft with extra picks. It's one less but goalie. Joe, we but get Joe learned. Joe learned. No high end picks. Like nothing. Nothing. So I'd rather have it be next year than this year. The guy has 19 points. You dipshits. He's playing on Florida's fourth line. And the only reason Colorado are even remotely in the playoff conversation right now is they've got, like, outs- uh, just otherworldly goaltending for a week and a half. 
And what what was the original trade from Pittsburgh? It was some crazy ass nonsense. It was like two seconds a fourth and some other guy for Jared McCann and someone else. So it's pretty hard to parse out what his value was in that trade. Alright, snap grades. I give it a C for the um, actual impact and a big fat F for the idea. There is yep. no impact. That, that's why it's just a C. Because it's, it's not actually like extraordinarily harmful right now. But it's also not extraordinarily helpful right now. Right. It's, it's a trade just because. It's a, well, I mean, y'all were begging for a trade. You got True. it. Got what we asked for. What a fucking joke. Let's look up some Derek Brassard numbers from just the just the easy basic ones from Hockey Reference. If you type in Brass, there's only one person, so that's cool. I mean, he at is least in his 31-year-old season. He has 19 points, 10 goals, 9 assists, with a 12.8% <laughs> shooting percentage, which is... Slightly above his career, but not by very much. He's only got 78 shots on goal. What a shitbird. Hold on, you said he's been playing on Florida's fourth line? Hopefully. I saw the practice lines. Well, not like He's averaging 15 minutes a night. The fourth line only gets 6 minutes a night. 15 minutes a night, and he's got 19 points in 50 games. That's brutal. I'm going to downgrade my impacts grade to a D. <laughs> what, what's the plan here? Like, are they seriously going to try and re-sign him? Or is this just a total pointless move? Yeah, what happened to no rentals? I don't know! Just do it! <laughs> Hedge Duck has got it. I mean, that's a clever 14-year-old right there. Just for podcast reasons, former Blue Jacket, check. Defensive center, check. Was good several years ago, check. Costs a pick, I would add specifically a third round pick, check. Got him. Unreal. This team is so predictable. On Monday, Avs win 3 to nothing over the Vegas Golden Knights. Three Avalanche scored and zero Golden Knights scored. So, goaltending wins. On Wednesday, Avs win 7-1 over the Winnipeg Jets, completing the Brazil with a late goal from, I think it was A.J. Greer. Um, it was. I haven't actually looked, so that's by pure memory, and if I'm right, then hell yeah. It's like the first time that's ever happened. Then they go to Chicago and Nashville back-to-back Friday and Saturday with a 22-hour um, turnaround and score 10 goals and win both games. 5-3 over Chicago and 5 to nothing over Nashville. Um, both games really kind of on the strength of goaltending, although five goals is nothing to sneeze at by any means. What happened yeah. this week? I, it's, it's just one impressive win after the other. Um, I really like the way they played on the road and they've, they've been better on the road. So, I mean, maybe the home wins are a little more impressive, but you know, Chicago, I think was eight and two going into that game. So it's, you know, they're, they're kind of famous right now for, um, no defense in a ton of offense. And, you know, I, I think the Avs sort of played that style well. Uh, but going into Nashville and winning 5 nothing, and I, I know Nashville's been fairly mediocre over the past few weeks. So, you know, 
it's not like beating last year's Nashville team towards the end of the season or something like that. But um, they they frustrated the Preds big time, and you could really see that for a lot of the game. They really did. And if you look at the shot totals and didn't actually watch the Predators game, you're you're gonna miss this. But that game was fairly avalanche heavy. Like yes, Grubauer stood on his head in the third period when it was already three or four to nothing. Like a lot of Nashville's shot padding came in garbage time. Yeah. yeah. I mean there was there was like, you know, I, I remember you pointing this out when we were looking at the second period charts that that was one bad shift that sort of jacked the the Corsi percentage down and right. um you know, the the third period was all score effects. So, I mean, you, you do look at, you know, you look at the Corsi under 30 and stuff like that, and you're like, oh, but, you know, you look at the heat map, it doesn't look bad, weren't a lot of quality chances. So, um, whatever their philosophy change has been to sort of go back or go forward to really limiting some quality chances is, is, is working great right now. Um, and, I, you know, I think that more than anything is why they've, been able to you know sort of start on the right path again over the last 10 games i i don't know i i think i lean more towards the depth scoring and part of this is the big old line changes that they did which unfortunately they seem to be moving away from again for some reason but they have gotten an absurd amount of points over the past five games compared to what they had over the past two and a half months from their depth it's like Nieto had five or six points. Andrew Ghetto had five points. You had Calvert with three, I think. Comfer has four or five. Jost has three. These are guys that had like two points in the entire month of January. So it's it's a night and day when you're getting that depth scoring. All of a sudden, you're controlling the, pl- the play more and you're giving a cushion for your defense and goaltender to be more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, it's like, who knew that spreading all that out would actually have the effect of making everybody in the lineup better? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is the one thing. The Nashville game, when the team was tired and they needed someone to step up, the Stars did. I mean, Mac just went into that game and fired missiles into the net, so... Yeah, and it, it, I mean, it really does seem like Mac has not looked like this in a while, and I really believe that by splitting those guys up and sort of spreading the talent around and spreading a lot of the work around that, that the top three guys are a lot more rested and able to produce when you need it, you know? I think you have to talk about defense too. Um, Ian Cole's been out for most of this and I know it's definitely very superficial to say, okay, he's out. That's why they were winning. But I think it seems to happen when it, big guy goes out that they've overplayed it seems to reset the defense maybe i don't know what it is if it's if it makes the pairs less jumbled because you put sam back with ej and they've been a really good pair and it just seems to really settle everything down and i think that was kind of the genesis of them starting to play better because the goalies needed the defense to be a bit better in front of them. Not to say that and Grubauer in the last game haven't given some big saves, but the horrific defensive breakdowns that were happening has definitely yeah, they, been lessened. And that's a 
you have to point at defense being a big part of why you can turn something around as bad as they were and yeah, win and if you look at the four time on ice, it, the time on ice is a lot you know it's a, it's a lot more even you know obviously graves is lagging and, and nemeth usually does depending on how much penalty killing there is um, but it's like, you, you know, you don't see EJ at 28 minutes. You don't see Cole up there at 25 minutes or 24 minutes. You don't see Barry at 24, 25 minutes. It's like everyone's right around 20 plus or minus a couple. And then, you know, Graves around 13 or so. And I, I you know, I, I think getting those guys all engaged is, is part of what you're describing there. Um, and that does happen a lot when they take someone out of the lineup and, you know, suddenly you're not top heavy, everyone's engaged and you play better. Simeon Varlamov was named first star of the week this week because he had a save percentage somewhere in the, up uh, in the nine and allowed four goals in three games, which I hear is pretty good. Yeah. And just a major factor in, how the team has started to kind of turn things around in February has continued to be Simeon Varlamov making more saves than he had been. Even when the team was still, you know, losing more games than they were winning in early February, his numbers were improving. His performances were improving. Colorados weren't able to, you know, get the goals to keep up. But this week they scored three, they scored seven, they scored five twice in a row. And they're scoring early. Um, and yeah. I, you know, I know that shouldn't make that much of a difference, but it really has because they've been scoring first goals a lot. It makes a difference in how the game plays out. Um, it sure does. That doesn't. To, that isn't to say that it's a strategy to score early or not, because every team wants to score from the twentieth minute onward. The, yeah, f- from twenty minutes on the clock onward. I've talked a lot today. <laughs> it's been a long day for sure. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I mean, I just, you know, I'll, I think, you know, during the, the collapse, there was just a lot of times where instead of that puck going in early, it would clank or miss high and wide or, or something like that. And it's just, uh, you know, maybe they're just settling down a bit, a little more calm and going about their business. But you know, getting those early goals, I think, started them with a little bit of confidence and that's sort of built lately. Yeah, I, I think it does show just how much of this was mental for the Avs. Like they have the skill to be a playoff team. I don't, I don't think they have the skill to be a real contender, but they have the skill to be a playoff team. And they just got to find a way to be a little bit more even keel and get their get through the downslopes a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I. I've railed on the, the coaching staff for being too stubborn with how they're addressing the issues. And it just, as soon as they really said, well, screw it, you know, let's start changing stuff up for real. And, you know, that, that seemed to, you know, I, I don't know if it took a weight off of everybody or it just, you know, adapting to a new challenge was something they focused on rather than how badly they were playing. And, and it's really done wonders. And then they started inching back to the way it was. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the last, you know, the, the last 10 games they've played really well. The last four games they've played incredibly well. And in the last one game, Philip Grubauer gets a shutout. Like, how huge is that? 
Yeah. That dude looked good yeah, for once. I, yeah, that's what blew me away, is he looked like a totally different person. Like, he then was way crisper question. than he has yet been. Does he need that much rest to be effective? Well, it's like, his the last time he played was the last loss before they went on that road trip and, and started, you know, grabbing some points. And that's that also coincides with that. I think that's when they really started implementing some changes to how they were playing defensively. And then the, from there, they sort of built on changing the offense a little bit as far as mixing up the lines. And it's just, it, it's a totally different team in front of them from the last time he played. But if, if group hour can even play, you know, once a week at a backup level at an NHL level, we'll put it that way, then that changes things. I- I think that's what we don't know. I mean, I'm not saying he needs three weeks off between starts, but if he's not even, I, I still think the question lingers out there. Could he, can he even hold, withstand a 1A, 1B type of workload? Yeah. Or I does mean, he need to truly be in a backup role? Right. I think like, he needs to be a backup. <laughs> I, I agree, unfortunately. And like, yes, at least this is him being functional is much better than what it was, but it's yeah. still not a great outlook long term. For now, no. I think we don't know. It's not like he started the season looking great and then got tired and fell off. Like he at no point was any good. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really hard to to, to say that it's work road work workload related. New, unique. Yeah, New York. I mean. I- I mean, obviously, back in December when they made him play three games in four nights, that was not optimum, but... <laughs> you, you don't say. You know, I, I, I think the way Varley's playing right now, it's like you want to play him as much as possible, get, you know, if Gruby takes every fifth or sixth start as needed, you know, dependent on schedule and travel and whatnot, then, you know, that, that's what you do for the last 20 games. I think at least they've decided they can play him in a back-to-back. Yeah, that would be an upgrade. Like, because if if you're afraid to play the guy, then you've got a big problem. Um, well, that that was a big question when they didn't even play him in the back to back. Then it yeah. was like, okay, when are they ever going to start? But they did make the right call because it, it must have been tempting, especially with the momentum they had with Farley yeah, I mean, I- and him playing so well. And then they they did put Grubauer in, so now it's given him a good something good to build off of. But if they had not played well, or he had not played well in that Nashville game, then I mean, let's be real. No one was expecting anything good no. to come of that Nashville game before it happened. Yeah, I mean, nineteen hours rest and playing Gruby, and you know, it's like that. That was I, I think playing. As the well funny as they thing did, is, though, and winning that game was sort of like, okay, you know, it's like this is a freebie. We win it, great. If not, then it is what it is. I think they actually have a positive record in the second half of back to backs for some reason. Because this team does nothing that makes any sense. Yeah. I think there was a, a week a while ago where Colorado played like basement team, basement team, San Jose basement team. And I said, if they win any game this week, it'll be, the, it'll be San Jose. And that's what fucking happened. <laughs> because this team does nothing yeah. that makes any sense. No. They haven't beat a lot of good teams this year, though. They came up with the best they line this in week. hockey. <laughs> the absolute best line in hockey. And as soon as everyone goes, oh, that's the best line in hockey, 
they fall apart and stop producing anything. And so they tear them apart and everyone goes, what are you doing? Stop it. This makes no sense. And now what happens? They scored 20 goals this week. The Avalanche yeah. refused to make sense. But yeah, they had an excellent week. Now it's just, can you build off of it? Yep. Consistency is the name of the game for this team. And that that's absolutely, I think, the bottom line is they've always had talent. They have talent now. They do good things. They look good. They have games where they look like they have it all put together. But they're not consistent. And it, it's not a matter of just getting over the hump. Like, that's a massive step to go Maybe from. Maybe they need more veterans. <laughs> well, one way or another, figured out. That's going to be the key to this team ever becoming more than it is and that it has been. Is how do you figure out that consistency. Yeah, and I, I mean, think how do, it's, it's... How do you not go two and a half months playing <laughs> 100 hockey, you know? It, that, it, that's just... Yeah, I think when we look back on the season, it's, it's just... It is mind-boggling, but I think when you look back on it, it's just going to be even more like, what the heck happened? And I, I think for a lot of fans, it's tantalizing. You see the potential. You, you see how they can just go out and just grab games. You obviously look at what Miko and McKinnon can do, and then the potential of having adding McCarr to the defense. But they're still just so far away from being and able. Don't forget, Captain Gabe leads the team in goals. You know? <laughs> yeah, of course. These are all great things. These are all things to be excited about in the future, and they're legitimate things. But that is that is so not close to being able to being a consistent, a contender. I mean, I, I think what, what I just mentioned is, is probably one of the big reasons. It's that the coaching staff is very stubborn and they try to be top-heavy. And it's like when they go away from that, you know, everything sort of starts sliding in the right direction. And it, you know, it, it I, makes you wonder what they are looking at that they stick with what's not working for so They long. need to take a step, too. Like, they're not yeah. innocent and in all of like this. Ray Bennett There's... needs to take a step right the fuck out of town. Yeah, but I think that <laughs> they... the power play success lately is an illusion, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, they, it, it needs not just be who's on the team. They need to seriously think about upgrading what they have behind the bench. And I still believe that Bednar, I still like Bednar. I still believe in his, the way he runs the team is his philosophies, but he needs better help. Just like how I just still don't mind Sackick, but he needs a lot better people around him. And that, that's the same thing with the coaching staff. So if you're going to make moves to, to marginally improve what you have in the short term on the ice, you need to think about what improvements you need to make in all areas of the organization. Yeah, I think the number one thing that they could do this summer is to replace Ray Bennett with somebody who has a, a modern outlook on offense. And, you know, a lot of people still look at the Avs like they're top 10 in the power play. And, you know, that, that's, a, that's a holdover from when they were over 30% for the first two months. But I, I think that what he's doing doesn't complement the way that Bednar and Pratt think defensively enough. Like, I think they need a contrarian guy to be the sort of offensive mind. Um, I mean, I think <laughs> of whether 
this is the best way to get there or not, moving Tyson Barry out is probably a big step into fixing the systems on the power play, but... Yeah, it'd be nice. He's a crutch. Right, absolutely. I think it's not even a... It's like a broken crutch that you always fall over and break your leg again with. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> like the the power play success being an illusion take, because, I mean, just look at the one they scored in the third period, or was it the second Exactly, period? Against yeah. Nashville, I mean, it was Barry takes a shot, blocked right back to him. Barry takes a shot, blocked right back to him. He moves it to McKinnon, who just fires it over Rene's shoulder through magic. I mean... Yeah. And then, like, you even compare that to the other one they scored, which is... Rantanen gets it down low and makes a sick pass, and they score easily. And it's like, whoa, that functions way, way better. Why aren't we doing that more? Yeah, or like Comfer's goal. Yep. Yeah, that, that Comfer goal where, where Gabe tossed it out from behind the net yeah. to Comfer in the slot. It's like that right there is the play they should be looking for constantly. Yeah, it lives and dies too much with can either McKinnon snipe it in or... I mean, they don't even rely on Barry scoring because I think he has, like, one power play goal, so... I think he has one assist in the last month. But, I, you know, I, when you look at the power play, you're looking at it, it's like Miko doesn't shoot, Barry doesn't make good plays as far as getting the puck to areas where you might actually score a goal from. Miko really doesn't either. I think those two guys have been really bad and, and sort of hold back everyone else. And that's I why think... I like kind of the way that they broke up the power play before. Um, it's like Sam and Mac look like they were developing some chemistry. Like Mac's like, okay, cool. All right, this guy can get me pucks in different places. He doesn't just play catch. And, you know, I think that worked out well. And I think Kerf on the other side is a lot more creative than Miko's been lately. And that's not a knock against Miko. I just, I, you know, I, what, wherever his mind's at, he's just not creating good offense on the power play. Well, Miko's so good behind the net, I would like to see maybe him focus on that. Yeah. It, it, it at least to be something different. And on some yeah. traverse through a million heat maps, it looked to me like Miko's even moving back further away from the net on the power play. He is. And uh, yeah, you can, the Avs have this weird, super weird three-person on the blue line set up now. Stop and it's just that. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> Get some help. <laughs> yeah, and it's like you're not going to score now. You're now you're further away from the net. And not only that, it's like when you pass from there, it's easier for the team to clear it or get a two on one. So it's just like you you, you can't you can't use that effectively. And I agree. Like if you put Miko behind the net, maybe that doesn't happen. Um, you know, it's like I, I wouldn't mind putting him in the slot. You know, it's like I think he can handle that. So it just I, I think the next step is probably getting Miko going. Um, just because you know what he's doing now isn't very helpful, and I, you know, I, I think he really can help the power play a lot. But it's just, you know, given what they're being taught, uh, it just doesn't allow for a lot of creativity. Sure doesn't, especially when they don't move. Yeah, that's. I mean, they are just cemented to their spots, man. And Moving is you, fun. You, you do can't. It more. You cannot create the space without having people cutting through the middle. You just can't. So. Yeah. What like they're they have no choice but to pass it around the perimeter if no one's willing to move, right? And that's that's definitely a coaching issue. It's like you should definitely be you know you should definitely have guys moving horizontally and diagonally through the slot area, and 
you know, I, I see a lot of teams now that don't even have a guy in the slot. It's they have guys that move into the slot, move out, move into yeah, the slot, I, move out. Yeah, I've always hated the diamond dot. I like the movement much better. Yeah. The quinkunks. So let's do a Stars and Scratches trade deadline edition. Um, which teams are you going to give a star for for their trade deadline performance this year? I mean, I Vegas got stone, so I think you kind of have to. Without giving yeah. up a first or any of their own picks? Right. Although they didn't oh. give up Brandstrom, but it's for stone. Right, they gave up one very good prospect and a second for arguably the best player on the market. So that's one star think, for the Vegas Golden Knickets. Um, I'm a little biased because my second team is the Habs, but I thought they did good because Bergevin almost always does something hideous at the deadline, and he did no harm, and that you know he didn't really improve the the team much. But I, you know, I, I think being able to hold on to some of the assets that in years past they've given away. Um, is going to make them better long term. So, uh, you know, I think it was a good deadline as far as strategy for them. I think the obvious answer is Columbus. It, it may or may not work out, but at least they're going for yeah. it. Columbus it's fun, gets but the I'm glad going I'm not for them. trophy. Yeah. Um, they're a little bit more under the radar because it didn't necessarily do anything today, but I'll, well, at least not too much today, but I like seeing what's come out of San Jose. Like, they, they know that they need to do it now, and yeah. they've really set themselves up as, as well as they feel like they can to try to do it now without selling everything, like like certain other Blue Jackets we could mention. Yeah. <laughs> Just to add one more, since we didn't really pick a seller, I think the Rangers probably were one of the best sellers. They got a lot of assets for what they ended up trading out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think Ottawa much, did I too. Any props. Yeah, Ottawa would be on my short list before Montreal. I think Montreal's is because you expect Bark merge with Man to lose his goddamn mind. I, I'm honestly not that impressed with what Ottawa got for what they traded away. So I, I, I'd say they had, you know, they did the best with what they they had to do. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm not as high on what they could have, or, you know, what they did versus what they could have done. In terms of scratch teams, I think we have to, we've, I think we've given like multiple LOLs to Anaheim Ducks trades. So I'm going to start there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that Montour trade was something. Yeah. I mean, I'm not at a huge fan was, of his, but. At least it wasn't a crap for crap trade. Like, a first in Ghoulie is a good return, so... I don't know. I can't pan that one too hard. Um, I'll give my scratch to Dallas. Um, when, I mean, you know, poor it's, guys. It's not really their, <laughs> yeah. Not really their, I don't think it was a great trade in the first place, but to have the dude come over and break his arm in the first game. That know, sucks. That, that's pretty much a, a really bad deadline. <laughs> I think Minnesota gets an easy L, too. We kind of already yeah. talked about that. <laughs> And I'm scratching the abs for reasons. They're just same shit, different year. <laughs> I think you need a lot of context to put the abs in the scratch category. I mean, do you really want me to 
going least, again, or no, just I'm just saying. The that, <laughs> I, I'm right. saying that without that long-term context, to keep some perspective, yeah. Jazz did not if, do as badly as these three organizations did. Yeah, they did far right. less harm on, on a league <laughs> full league purview. They weren't that bad. I mean, how many? Teams gave up thirds or better. Like it's still a short a lot. list. Lunch. Yeah, it's still a short list. There are a lot of twenty twenty thirds gone. <laughs> yep. More teams <laughs> traded top three round picks than didn't. It seems like. Yeah. Like they were flying. Firsts aren't really flying this year, and twenty nineteen picks aren't really flying, which I'm still struggling to wrap my head around. But. Well, yeah. Someone made the call that the this draft, you know. Everyone's very comfortable with saying this is going to be a very good draft, and that just you know that that makes a holding on to our pick obviously is a, is a very good thing. But you know that just makes Ottawa's pick even better. I there's two ways there's two ways to look at it. Like, are the buyers or the sellers the ones that are pushing for the 2020s? Because I've heard next year's is pretty good too. And I will say, as far as the abs are concerned. I am glad that they kept their class of the five top 100 picks together this year because I think it was important for them to do so. Still, I don't like borrowing from the future. And a special shout out to the Winnipeg Jets for dealing a 2022 fourth round pick. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even the only That was one. impressive. There were two 14-year-old kids traded today. Who else did it? I didn't even notice who else Columbus? Columbus. Yeah, I Columbus think. traded a yeah. conditional 2022 for That's all they had left. Winnipeg's is yeah. conditional too, but yeah, blue, the Blue Jackets don't have anything else they could trade. What, it, what, what do they have for the next three years? Like, how many picks overall out of 21 they were given by the league? Well, they only have two you. this year, and one of them is Calgary's. So they have one <laughs> of their own picks left this year. But see, here's the thing is Columbus will probably sell and get some back. What are they going to sell? So this season, Columbus have their Assets. own third and Calgary seventh. Next season, Columbus have their own first if they don't re-sign Matt Duchesne. Right. Their own fourth. Their own fifth. Unless Ryan McInnes appears in 20 NHL regular season games. <laughs> okay, so their own fifth. Their own sixth and their own seventh. They're probably going to sell Wenberg. They could probably get something for Sonny Milano. And then in 2021, they have all but their second. They have no seconds for So they years. have That's 12 picks over the next three years right now. Who in knows? The they're probably going to... In the next three gonna... years, they either have a first and Matt Duchesne or two firsts. And that's it in the first two rounds for three years. My God, was Neil picked... Smith one of their advisors? <laughs> They can get picks for selling any of these guys' rights. Panarin's rights, Bobrovsky's rights. A first yeah. or a second? Well, no, but you're counting picks, and they'll you're, probably you're, be uh, things to you're, picks. You're eating your mic again, by the way. Okay. You're counting <laughs> picks, and they'll probably do things to get picks. I'm sure they'll try. Uh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm sure they're not, like super happy about having 12 picks over the next three years but they're going yeah. for it so yeah i mean it's it, you know if if you look at what their strategy is it's obvious like you know if if bob's leaving then your goalie situation is going to be a cluster until you find the next bob 
and that could be next year. That could be five years from now. So <laughs> I really, right. hope their next goalie is named Bob. I mean, I mean AKA great. the Avalanche. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> yeah, they they could end up with Varley next year. They're losing know. their two best players anyway. Yeah. So they figured, why not go hard right now? And then right. just the, the we'll sell whatever we have left in the rebuild. That they need to go for it. As right now, I don't think they're... Or they weren't in a playoff spot when they traded for Duchesne. I think they are right now. What, what choice so, do they have, though? They're going to be rebuilding anyway. So yeah. they figure YOLO. They ended up here. Like, they're getting commit. Like, I did give them the star for at least for acquiring as much talent as they did. But they're getting commended for going for it as a, in a very uncertain team because that's the only choice they have. The problem is, is they're at this point where they're looking at the expiring contracts for Panarin and Bobrovsky, and they still haven't made any progress. Sure, they fucked up in the past, but that's their problem. I'm not a CBJ yeah. fan. <laughs> yeah, it's worth mentioning that when Columbus made the Duchesne trade, they were out of the playoffs by a point, and now they are third in the Metro again within a point of being out of the playoffs. It is yeah. tight over there. Kind of like yep. in the in the central except like 7 points more. Right, like they're banking <laughs> on keeping Pittsburgh out of the playoffs. That's That's, that's why I always think, I, I thought it would have been funny if um if Ottawa had traded Stone to Pittsburgh. I mean not that, you know, not that Pittsburgh really could have, but you know, it's like that that would have been hilarious from a league-wide point of view. Um, one dumb thing that uh, this is going back to some of the scratches we just talked about. I think one dumb thing that Ottawa, that Ottawa did was after they traded Duchesne and made their conditional first, they traded them to Zingle. And that sort of makes it such that the first is, you know, looking, you know, it, it makes it harder for that to be high value. Um, Not in a so way I'd, because. Zingles from Ohio. If there's a chance he might sign, there's might be a chance. No, I mean the, the, the might first sign. rounder they definitely right. get. He's saying that first is going to be like a lower pick. It's going to be 28th overall now or whatever. Right. So it's just like you know, it's like you get the definite first in 2019 from Columbus, and then you the next day you traded a guy that's going to make that pick definitely higher. Well, not definitely. You know, it's like a better chance that it's going to be later in the round. So. I mean, I realize, you know, it's it's a bird in the hand thing, but still, it's just, it's kind of silly. Well, do we want to spare a couple more minutes to whine about Sheldon Dries being the only paper to come back? <laughs> sure. Uh, I mean, I'm okay with only one paper coming back, just it shouldn't have been him. I'm not, because it means that Gabriel Bork is going to play. I, you're right. That's that's dumb. Like nope. I'm, I'm I'm sure Wilson will be back in that spot soon, but since he's not here tonight, it's kind of dumb. Right. Um. So it, if the thinking is you only you leave yourself with twelve forwards, then you get an emergency recall if one of them goes down. No. Why not? Because they have seven defensemen. Isn't it per position? I don't think so. I think as long as you can put 18 skaters out there, you're not in an emergency situation. Hmm. As long as... I, I, I know it's weird like that, but... <clears throat> um, 
I, but then, I don't think it. I, I don't think it's an emergency situation if you can put a seventh defenseman on instead of your twelfth forward. It probably will be a moot point because Wilson should be back soon. Right, and we'll honestly, have an extra forward. It's the NHL. It doesn't matter what the rule is. You can just do what you want. That's right. You know, but, season opening injured reserve. You can go ahead and practice with your team. That's okay. But Sheldon Grise <laughs> has not been better than A.J. Greer or Dominic Toninato for that matter and continues It wasn't even as good as Agazino really continues to stay in the coaching staff's good graces Yeah, and I, is this just an inertia no. deal? Like, Yeah, the only way I can justify it is for whatever reason, regardless of his play, Bednar seems to trust him to do PK work and yeah. they like hey. really, really, really appreciate people that can PK in their bottom six, even though he's not really any good in at the PK, but... I mean, it, if you want to put, if you want to do the who helps the Eagles more, it's Greer and Agazino, but I don't buy that the Avs really care about that all that much. Well, I think there were games tomorrow and Wednesday. I think they were showcasing or Greer. Wednesday. Nobody bit, so he went back. I think it's as simple as that. I don't Me think too. they were trying to trade Greer. Yeah, I, I, I do. I buy that. <laughs> play yeah, more well. than four minutes a game if that's your plan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What Joe wants to <laughs> happen back. and what Jables wants to happen do not have to be the same thing. Sackett can call him up and say, here, play this guy so we can see if we can move him. And Bednar goes, okay, right, I got well, a fourth line spot we'll see for if him. he gets re-signed this summer. I just don't think there's ever he been might. any point where the Avalanche have had a plan for AJ Greer to, you know, remain <coughs> with the team at all. So the showcase move, I 100% buy that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see if he comes back. Ever. Yeah. I, I mean, regardless, it, it just seems silly that the Avs are so invested in Sheldon Dries. I mean, what it is? Where is the value in there? I, no fault to the guy. He's doing what he can in his role, but he's an NHL tweener at best. And you have other players that could potentially be more for you in your AHL team that you should be using. Yeah, but he's older. You know, I mean, I've, I know, I know, and the the ABS always look at it that way, but it's still dumb. It is dumb. I mean, it's like you know, as as far as their personnel decisions, there's two things you can bring to the NHL squad if, if you're playing in the AHL and that's either experience or scoring you know if you're if you're young and you don't score much then you know that they, they they aren't that hot on you but career has more AHL experience than drives he's just he's younger though <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking experience in the, in the pro ranks I'm talking about as a man <laughs> he has more experience as a live human being. Coming up exactly. this week, the Avalanche play the Florida Panthers at home in two hours. Welcome their new friend, Derek Broussard, to the middle six somewhere. I'm not sure where he's going to slot into the lineup, and JB wouldn't tell anybody. Even He said he didn't know, even though he, you know he knows. Um, then on Wednesday, Vancouver Canucks are in town for a 7.30 home start on a Wednesday because it's Wednesday and NBC exclusivity window and... Wednesday night rivalry and blue bitty blue. On Friday, Colorado head out west for a brief trip to California, starting on Friday night in San Jose for a big ol' oofer of an 8.30 mountain time start. Although that is on a Friday, so it doesn't hurt too bad. And finally, Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock mountain start against the stupid Anaheim Ducks. 
Oh. So unless you're listening live, which there are a handful of you, but not nearly as many as actually check out this show. So unless so unless you're listening live, the Florida game has probably already happened. So between Vancouver, San Jose, and Anaheim, how many points? It's four. gotta be four, right? Yeah. Split the difference till we see what this team actually can do, but I mean, you, you want to keep yourself in the playoff race, you have to beat Vancouver. Yeah. You have to. Yep. Uh, uh, sharks are the Sharks, you know. Uh, we probably find a way to beat them and lose to the Ducks because that's just what we do. In overtime. Yeah. yeah. I mean, San Jose has terrible goaltending and they managed to win anyway, but I, I think if the Avs can take advantage of their crappy goaltending, it's, it's, it, it's not as tough a task as it may seem. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say six. I'm I'm going back to being Mr. Optimistic. Woo. See, now I'm worried because we said zero last week and we we took it to him. So, <laughs> so this is where <laughs> Varley falls back to pieces again. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like I was looking at sort of the the schedule comparison to last year, and right about now was when they went on the big winning streak that got them into the playoffs. Um, or point streak, you know, they went nine zero and two, or something like that. Nine nine two and two, I think, between right about now and uh, March twenty fourth, where they you know, sort of had their end of season collapse. So, you know, if they're going to make it, obviously their point total won't be close. But I think what they have to do in the last part of the season is similar to what they pulled off at the end of last year. Well, it depends on how much the rest of the Central keeps winning. With, uh, with with Dallas adding a player and then immediately sticking them back on the IR and Minnesota selling everybody for worse players, it uh, seems like the Avalanche should have a decent shot if they can continue to get goaltending. I mean, you they bought, right? So it's it's playoffs or bust now. Yep, that that's absolutely facts. Playoffs or bust. And I think a good topic for next week might be now that the, the trade deadline is passed and we have some time to, to see our team as well as the others, sort of who's really in who's really in the conversation for those last two spots. Right. Well, um, next week's show will be, uh, hope y'all can record on a Sunday evening because there's a Sunday afternoon game. Regardless of whether it's six or zero points, you know you can find out here. You can catch the show on iTunes, on on podcatchers all over the internet, or on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio. We post every episode on burgundyrainbow.com. You can find us in the Burgundy Rainbow Discord, just kind of chilling. And, and today, we've got the knives out over this Broussard deal. Uh, y'all, it's, it's a hockey trade. Stop insulting each other. Keep your head up in the dirty areas, and we will see you all next week. So, the question has to be asked. The team we're chasing in the last wildcard spot is selling like wildfire. And we felt we needed to buy to take that spot. (laughs) Was wildfire pun intended there? Maybe.